Thank you, Ko, for those prayers, and good morning, church. It's good to be with you all today, and it's good to do church together, whether you're here in person or online. We welcome you. Um, thank you, Joy, for the artistic spotlight. The fourth Sunday of the month, we highlight one of our artists as a way of worship, and so you can look on our YouTube page and see the last, I think, seven months we've been doing this. There's lots of wonderful expressions of that. Well, we're in the second series, second week of our Kingdom Now series. Last week, we spoke about the Beatitudes, and Jesus was with this crowd, and he's describing the crowd, and he lifts up the things that he sees that the world doesn't bless, but he blesses. These Beatitudes, again, are not a to-do list, but rather it's a good news list. Jesus is describing who has the most to gain by the arrival of his kingdom. He's teaching this crowd, and he's not saying because you are in these difficult spots that your circumstances are blessed, but rather the way you stand before Jesus is blessed because of your circumstances. Jesus is calling out to those who tend to be on the fringe of humanity and society and says, I am blessing you and nobody else is. See, Matthew is presenting Jesus here in a very specific way. As Jesus went up to the mountainside, the Israelites would have, the followers of Jesus would have been reminded of Moses going up. And God told Moses he needs to come up to the mountain on his own. He could bring Aaron, and there he received instructions on how the community of Israel was supposed to live, right? What's amazing here is that the followers of Jesus are going up with him to the mountainside. There's this accessibility that Jesus is presenting. And as Moses was talking about life in Israel, Jesus now is presented as the new Moses, and he's talking about life in the kingdom. That's what this Sermon on the Mount is about. Life in the kingdom. What is that life to be looked at? And that kingdom is now. We can begin living this way right now. All right, so who is Jesus teaching? He's teaching the crowds. He's teaching those that are gathered around him, very ordinary people from Galilee, from the countryside, from, you know, they were not people in Jerusalem. They were kind of the country bumpkins, right? They were not impressive. They were ordinary folks, and yet this is who Jesus is gathering around him to teach so our passage today is the next passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. You can see it on the screen or in your bulletin. Let's dig in. It says, you are salt, the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people give a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds or your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you that you are, in fact, present here. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you that it's life-giving, and I pray today that, that your scripture, God, your word, will come near to our hearts, 
that you'll help us to understand what we need to understand from it today, that you'll begin and continue a transforming work in our lives. In your name, amen. Now, if you were like me, I've always heard this passage talked about in terms of evangelism, but I don't think that was Jesus' intent at all in this teaching. Jesus is addressing these ordinary folks, right, in the countryside of Galilee. He's not talking to the powerful Romans. He's not talking to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Rather, he's talking to this crowd, and he talks about salt and light. So let's unpack what Jesus is going after here. Verse 13, he says, you are salt of the earth. You are. He is telling this to the crowd. He's not saying you will become salt. One day you might be salt. You are salt. This is what he's telling them. It's an identity for them. Salt of the earth. This could be salt of the land. This could be salt of the world. The word here is um, several meanings. And it's a plural you. You all are salt of the earth. He's talking about this crowd that is before him. Now, salt was very common in that day. If you've seen um, the Dead Sea, you know, you can float in it. There's so much salt. There'd be salt around the seashore. Salt was used in similar ways, like seasoning, like we would season things today, but also used as a preservative. They didn't have refrigeration, so you could pack things in salt as a way to prevent it to slow down the decay. So Jesus speaks about what these followers are right now, not what they are becoming, but that they are salt. And how are they the salt? He's saying these people, these folks that he's blessing, this beatitude list, these meek, right? these peacemakers, these that are mourning, these values, these traits are what the salt is about, that they are that salt. And he also says that salt can become useless, right? If they reject these things in the Beatitudes, then they're sort of rejecting what makes them salty, right? These things that they have as how they're living. And if they reject and walk away from those, then it becomes like tasteless salt, right? Salt can be mixed with impurities. Um, salt can lose its effectiveness and not be useful anymore. So what, what was salt in the Old Testament? And this was kind of a fun exploration, um, a verse I have not spent any time with before this week. And of Numbers 18, 19, it says, Whatever is set aside from the holy offerings, the Israelites present to the Lord, I give to you and your sons and daughters as your perpetual share. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord for both you and your offspring. Anybody here ever hear of the covenant of salt? Yeah, like it's not a big teaching topic, right? And actually, we don't exactly know what this covenant of salt is. There's not too much on it. But we see in the Old Testament this idea that it's, that it's a reminder of the covenant itself, this relationship with God. It's a reminder of the law and the prophets, these things that are the guardrails, if you will, for the people of God and how they're to live. So the Old Testament talks of salt in this way. It's a way of being. It's a reminder of how they are supposed to be. And Jesus is applying this idea of salt to his followers. They're to be a reminder to the community about the values that Jesus is lifting up around him, these values of the Beatitudes, 
That's the reminder to the people of God about what they are to be about, about who God is. Jesus is saying these meek, right? These merciful, these peacemakers are salt to the community. They're needed. They're needed for flavoring. They're needed for seasoning. They're needed for preservatives in much the same way the law and the prophets were to the people of Israel. They're reminders about what we're to be about. Now, how does salt bring benefit? So you, I mean, I could have taken this photo of myself, actually. This is not an uncommon occurrence for me. I love to barbecue, right? But you've got to put the salt on the meat, right? If the salt does not come in contact with the meat, it does not help the meat. And it needs to be in there. It needs to be on, in on it, and then it begins to soak into it. It begins to transform the whole thing. This is what salt can do as a seasoning. So we need to be in proximity. The salt needs to be in proximity with what it is seasoning. It has to come into contact with it. The community, our community, needs these folks. We need this salt. That's why it's wonderful to have a diverse community, people that are different from us, people that can be that seasoning to us. We need to come into contact with these folks, and we ourselves might be some of these folks. Those that are mourning, those that are peacemakers, those that are meek, those that are opening themselves up to God are what we need as a community to recognize these things are important to the heart of God. Council was on retreat this weekend, and we had a wonderful time. We've been praying and preparing really for months for this time away with God as we look about our vision, as we press into what God is calling us into. And we'll have more on this, but this idea of loving God, of loving others and and doing good, right? These good deeds that Jesus is talking about here. How do we as a community walk in these important places of our relationship with God and that transformation, that being loving one another both inside and outside the church. And and how do we do good in this season? What does that look like? And one of the things we spent some time on is this loving others, right? Really, the whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus teaching to his people on how to love your neighbor, how to love your neighbor. How do we love our neighbor, both these here and those outside? And one of the things we recognize these last two years in Hong Kong and, and globally, it's been so easy to become isolated, right? Some because of political reasons, some because of COVID. It's been easier to pull away and it's been harder to connect. We have online service right now, right? Because of some of these challenges. But what we recognize is that we don't want anybody to stand alone. If you're in the body of Christ, the the definition of the body of Christ is that you're connected. And yet we know we can be in places even of community and be isolated and be separate. That's not God's heart and that's not our heart as a church. We want everybody to be in relationship. One of those ways that we do that at community is in life groups. This is just a screenshot from our, our webpage, and there's over 14 groups on there. Um, if you want to know more about those groups, you can scan there. We have groups meeting almost every day of the week. Um, we just finished our survey results. We have 64% of our community is in life groups, and that's great. 
But we want everybody to be connected. If you are maybe in a season of life where you're like, I can't do a life group, we still want you connected in relationship, right? Maybe that's with a ministry team. Maybe that's serving together um, on one of our outreach events. Maybe that's just having a friend that you can meet with and pray with. If you need help in establishing those relationships, let us know, Pastor Brenda or myself, because we would love to help you to connect. Proximity. Salt on the meat, or if you're um, not a meat eater, you can season vegetables, right? That's good. I do, um, I haven't fully embraced meatless Mondays yet, but I'm, I'm trying. And uh, so, but salt needs to come in contact with the product, right? It needs to come in contact with, with the other, and we can be that salt. When I was in seminary, I was warned about pastors being isolated from other people. It can be a lonely, it can be an isolating experience. It can, this very thing of this connection that the salt is talking about can be hard to happen. And even though I knew that in my head, and I talked to pastors who said it's really hard, you can be so isolated. Who do you share with? Who do you open up with? Who do you really go to those depths with? And um, these last few years, for me, it's been just an intentional plugging in. How do I do this? It's become a priority. I have one person I meet with weekly, and we can ask each other anything. All questions are on the table. I need that in my life, and he is salt to me in that process. Another person is once a month, and he asks those deep questions about what God is doing. Where are you? This question of what have you repented of lately? It's like, ooh. We need people in our lives that can do that. We all need this. The passage goes on, 5.14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Again, you are the light, not you will be the light. You will become the light. You are the light. This group that is following him is the light. Now, they would have known when they heard this light imagery that, that Jesus is reflecting back to the people of God in Israel. Isaiah 60, 30 says this, nations will come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. This idea that Israel was to be a light for the world, it was to be drawing people to Yahweh. It was to be drawing other nations to Yahweh. Genesis 18, and, and Jesus is, uh, not Jesus, God is saying to Abraham that he will become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. This was the plan for Israel to be a blessing to the whole world. And so Jesus is borrowing this imagery, and he's saying, now this is you. This is you, my followers, my disciples. You are that light now for the world. Light is an easy image to understand, an easy metaphor. We need light for the same things they did. Putting light on a you know, lampstand would have given light to the whole house. Chances are the home only had one light, and so you want to put it in the place where it's seen the best, so that everybody can benefit from it. He goes on in verse 16 and talks about the importance of putting that on the light and says uh, this in 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So your good deeds, your, your, your good work. And we talked about this a bit on 
um, on our retreat. Let your light shine that they may see your good works. Now, if you've read further into the Sermon on the Mount, you might be thinking, doesn't Jesus say something else about showing our good deeds before others? And you are right. We're going to get to that down the line, but I want to address it today. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks about your, your giving to the needy should be done in secret, right? Your prayer should be done in private. When you're fasting, you shouldn't be showing others that you're fasting. Wash your face. So what is it here? Do we, do we practice these things in private or do we practice them in public? Jesus seems to contradict himself in the very same sermon. I've been accused of that too probably for the wrong reason, right? So we have to look at intent. We, we, earlier this year, we talked about how do we interpret the Bible? How do we read the Bible? And this interpretation, looking at the intent of Jesus here, and also Matthew as he is recording this, what was Jesus' intent? So he, later in the sermon, he's talking about those religious leaders that wanted to draw attention to themselves, right? Were more interested in their own glory, Here, he's talking about who are we bringing glory to? Glory to our Father in heaven. So our motivation on what we share is important. Okay, private or public, these things that that are a benefit for yourself, right? This, This prayer, this fasting, you keep them, right, private. Giving to the needy could benefit others, but in the context, in, in the time, in that culture, giving was really seen and, and, and should be today as, as an act of worship between you and God. So even though that does benefit others, the intention there is that's between you and God as he invites you into that generosity. You keep that private. Here, these are things that light is benefiting. Let's show that to people because we want to glorify God. Now, um, Jesus wanted to rebuke people wanting to have people notice them themselves, right? To win the approval of others. Look at all these good things that I'm doing. Jesus is speaking against that. Have you ever, have you ever done this? You did a good deed and uh, you couldn't wait to tell somebody about it, right? I, I've done that, right? And I have. And... And maybe I'm the only one that's ever done that. But if I'm honest with myself, I've, I've wanted to be noticed. Look at what I did, right? And it's completely selfish if I'm truly honest with myself. So these, these verses we need to wrestle with, we need to self-reflect. Do we want to bring glory to God and who he is or glory to ourselves, right? We each have to wrestle with that. So Jesus highlights these things that um, later that we'll, we'll uncover a little bit more as we go into this service. So we can ask ourselves, is this act, is, is showing this, am I looking to bring glory to who Jesus is, or am I looking to bring glory to myself? And I think that's a helpful question as we wonder, should I share this or should I not share this? Um, because there clearly is a good time for let, letting these things be seen, and we need to do that. When I was a, a young teen, I needed the light of others in the church. Um, some of you know my story in more detail, but I was in a dark place and was not sure how much I wanted God, wanted the church, wanted other believers. I needed people to be that light for me, to, to light my path 
And I was in this um, thing similar to the Boy Scouts and through our church. And I loved to camp and I loved to hike and I loved to do all those things. I didn't necessarily love God much in that season, but I had these men that invested their time. They weren't doing anything dramatic. It wasn't like this huge act um, that they were doing. It was just normal, everyday stuff, but it took time, it took intention, it took investing in me. And, you know, this is, of course, pre, like, Facebook email days. I, I don't even remember the names of some of them. They probably don't know the impact that that had on me as a teen, but it did. It was exactly the light that I needed when I couldn't necessarily see God's light, I was able to see the light through them. And we can do the same. So this group is the salt. They are the light. And we need both of these things. This crowd, these followers, Jesus is saying, these are the type of people that have room in their heart for God. They have made space for God. They're wanting to draw near to God. That's what being salt and light is. Being salt and light is not having some awkward conversation where you're trying to tell people about Jesus or invite them to church. It's so much more than those attempts at evangelism. Jesus, I think, is saying this to us. The best gift the church can give the world is reflecting the values of the kingdom. The church presents an alternative reality to the world. And wouldn't it be a huge blessing to this world if we lived it out? Instead of celebrating power, we celebrate meekness. Instead of using people, we honor and value the other. Instead of practicing greed, we practice generosity. Instead of bitterness and hate, we step in with forgiveness. This is what it means to be a light on a hill. This is how we can show our faith to the world. This is what good news looks like. Good news is not you can go to heaven when you die. Good news is a transformative process that God invites us into and that we can show that to others. Some Christian traditions view this passage, this light on the city of the hill, as, as permission and actually command to pull away from the world. They can come to me, right? They can come see that light, and so they withdraw I think they're missing an important part of how we live out our faith. Right? We're to be in the world, right? We're to bring our light into the world. There's a lot of problems in the world, whether it's injustice, poverty, COVID. And those things can be so overwhelming, right? We can think, I'm just going to pull away. I'm going to put my light you know, under a basket because I don't know how to do it. Or we might take another approach, and I'm going to blame the other for the problems in the world, right? I'm going to blame that group for the problems. I'm going to blame those on the outside, maybe, of these walls. I'm going to blame the other political party for the problems. So we either retreat or we blame, and, and Jesus is not giving us either of those options. 
as Christians, he's inviting us into self-reflection. What have we as a church done to not be a light, to not be a blessing to the world? What have we done that's been helpful? What have we done that has not been helpful? It should be a call to self-reflection as a church and as an individual. But it is not an invitation to pull away, and it is not an invitation to blame. Salt and light. Jesus is saying, bring your light to your politics. Bring your light to your workplace. Bring your light to your family. Bring your light to this city. It's not an option to pull away, but rather an invitation to engage with kingdom values. These three verses for me beg the question, how is my faith helping the other? How is my faith a blessing to this city? And we all get to engage that. Some very practical ways, if you're wondering, how, how, how do I step into those places? I don't know what that looks like. It can look like so many ways. Um, next week, we're going to be hearing for Inner City Ministries. They have last Saturday of the month, so just yesterday, for two hours, walking with people in the community um, that we can bring that light to, that we can be a part of what God is doing in those places. Um, also, St. Barnabas is Sunday afternoon, next Sunday, 3 to 5. Um, just down the road here, working alongside grassroots children and, and bringing that light. This is not sort of a, um, how do we be a savior to people, right? This is not look at all we can do to, to bring our benefits to you, right? This is a coming alongside. This is a two-way learning. As they come into contact with us, right, they might be that salt for us, right? They might help us in our walk with God, but we can also bring what we have to them. This is this idea of community that God calls us into. Um, Jubilee Ministries, a new ministry that we're working with, Kea will be in the, in the welcome table afterwards. We would love to have people get involved with that. These are ways that we can be light to this city. Jesus proclaims this crowd, very ordinary people, Following and living in the ways of Jesus can change the world. We are, in fact, a testament to that. 2,000 years ago, this happened. We're here today because of them being salt and light to the world. They weren't doing big, amazing accomplishments. They were living simply the values of the kingdom in their world, in their communities. They were showing the transformation that following Christ can bring. The world doesn't need you know, more ambitious Christians, greater accomplishments. Rather, we need people faithfully living the salt and light in our world. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the Lord, the giver of life, that you invite us into this dynamic that you call us salt and light, God. And I pray that your words would go deep into our heart, God. That you would speak to each one of us about where are we with you, God? That we would accept your invitation to engage this world, to do good in all the places you might have us, Jesus. In your name, amen.